everything around us, you don't change. And your word endures forever. And your word which culminates certain uh, unwavering and we put our hope in him in you and in your word this morning and so pray now that you would bless our time in your name we pray amen so Matthew 11 begins an interesting section in Matthew's gospel because up to this point uh, particularly over these last few chapters we see um, Jesus not only teaching but then doing ministry. He is serving. He is healing. He is raising from the dead. He is uh, helping the lame walk. And he is the blind to see and the mute to speak. He's casting out demons. And so it, Matthew sort of marshaled all of this evidence to demonstrate that, in fact, the kingdom of God has come and that Jesus is God's anointed and that, that the kingdom is breaking through into the darkness. And what we have now in Matthew 11, and really for the next uh, five or six chapters, is Matthew sort of spotlighting people's responses to the gospel, uh, people's varying response, uh, responses to the gospel, um, going all the way from doubt to outright unbelief. But really the culmination of this section comes in Matthew 16, where our good friend Peter, who we're studying together, on Sunday mornings, um, Peter, um, Peter's very famous confession, you know, him, Jesus asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Jesus Christ, you are the son of the living God. And, and all, of, all of these varying responses we find beforehand sort of culminate in Peter's confession. And so along the way, um, we learn a lot about the human heart. We learn a lot about people's perceptions, their preconceptions about what Messiah would be. And then we, we ultimately see how God is um, in control and sovereign even over these things. And so in Matthew 11, we, we, we have the first intersection of these episodes with John the Baptist. Now at this point, John the Baptist is in prison. And you've got to put yourself in John the Baptist. Uh, spot. He preached. He was the predecessor to Christ. He was his cousin, for goodness sake. And here he had um, come. He had been a, a, a preaching prophetic sensation in the wilderness. Um, but now because of his, and we'll find out more about this later in Matthew, because of his prophetic word about the immoral actions of Herod, Herod had thrown him into prison. And here John is. He's waiting for national revival. He thinks uh, the Messiah is about to break in in a powerful political way, maybe, and but he's in prison, and he's doubting, and he's discouraged, and so he sends some, we see here in Matthew 11, some of his disciples to ask Jesus, and, and, and you see John, John the Baptist, both his heart and his just his humanness, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another, you know, he is doubting. He is doubting. Um, I mean, he, he knows the truth of God's word. He knows the truth of who Jesus is, but yet he's doubting because Jesus is not doing what John the Baptist thinks he was going to do or maybe ought to do. He's not 
uh, he's not being sort of confined to the preconceived notions of who John the Baptist believes that Jesus is and what he should be doing. When, when Jesus says the kingdom is coming, John's like, well, bring on the kingdom. It's, it's time. It's time to usher in the reign and the, the rule and overthrow the political authorities. But here we see that the kingdom is coming spiritually, the poor being ministered to, the sinful, the downtrodden. And then Jesus says something very interesting, and it's a, it's a great word for us because we're so often John the Baptist, right? Um, I, I don't doubt for a moment John the Baptist's heart. I don't doubt his, um, his faith. I mean, think about it. he's in prison, though, and it's not going the way he thought it was going to go. And, and that's so often us, right? Where circumstances in our lives, things have taken a turn culturally or politically or in our relationships or family, and we're asking God the same thing. God, are, are you sure this is the way it's supposed to go? <laughs> or, or am I, should, be, should I be expecting something else? Have I been duped here? And listen to what Jesus says. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And that word doesn't mean like, offensive in the sense of um, disdain, okay? Or offensive in the sense of we can't stand each other or something. Offensive means literally to stumble over. And Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who does not stumble over me and who I am in my mission. I've come to establish the spiritual kingdom and, and not, at least now, the physical kingdom. And that is such a hard word. It's a hard word for John the Baptist because he ultimately dies in prison. He died, he's beheaded. Um, he seems to be at the whim of all these political forces out of his control. We know that's not true, but that's the way it seems. It's the way it seems for us as well. And, and we can learn here that in fact, um, this life is not the culmination. This life um, temporal life is not going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God that awaits the future. And so Jesus has a warning here for us. Um, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of the, the, the label on the product, right, that says uh, uh, disclaimer. He says, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, and that frog agrees, has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And a lot of commentators think this can mean a lot of different things. But I think essentially what, what, what it's getting at here is that as the kingdom is breaking in to this world, and God's rule and reign is being established spiritually, lives are being changed, um, that will not go unnoticed by Satan. It will not go unnoticed by the powers, the authorities, the principalities. There will be opposition. There will be violence. There will be... Um, uh, persecution and this persecution of John the Baptist is just a foretaste of what believers will always experience and so again church we don't want to be surprised as Peter tells us in his letter um, as if something strange is happening to us okay this is the way of the kingdom um, in this in this world so from there on Jesus is addressing a variety of situations and he's, then he goes on to address uh, the people there that he's preaching to in his, in his day and age who are misunderstanding his message of the kingdom. And then he uses this example of, uh, we played the flute for you, this is verse 17, and you did not dance, we sang a dirge, you did not mourn. In other words, the people 
in a general way, did not understand the time and the season that they were in. Um, again, they were rejecting Jesus because they had a preconceived notion about who he should be and what he ought to do versus looking at the word of God, letting the word of God, Jesus's words himself, define who Jesus is and what he would do. And, and so, so this is Jesus's way of saying, you've completely missed the season. You thought it was a funeral, um, but it was really a celebration. So instead of dancing, you're mourning. Or you thought it was a celebration, but it was really a funeral. And instead of mourning, now you're dancing. You're, you're totally off kilter. You have the wrong response. And he gives this warning to, um, to Chorazin and Bethsaida. Chorazin and Bethsaida. These were cities in northern Israel he was ministering to who had rejected him. And Capernaum as well. And he said, if, if Tyre and Sidon, Sidon, which were notoriously wicked cities in the Old Testament, if they had heard what you had heard, they would have responded. But you can't recognize the time. You can't recognize the season. And so we have to ask, and Matthew is bringing us to this point to say, then how is it that we do recognize this? How is it that we do understand who Jesus really is? What is needed? Because it's obvious in our natural state, it's obvious that mankind in its natural condition is going to believe the cross is foolishness, is going to believe the resurrection is a scandal, is going to, is going to reject the words of the meek inheriting the earth and, and all the things that Jesus has been teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. And here in verse 25, we have, it's a hard text, but it's a sweet text because it gives us great comfort to know um, how it is that Jesus ultimately opens eyes and gives hearts and eyes to see who he really is. And look at verse 25. It says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such for such was your gracious will. Verse 27, All things have been handed over to, be, to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so here we have kind of a peek behind the curtain to understand we're all in our sinful humankind, dead in sin state, blinded, blinded to who Jesus is and the ways of the kingdom and the ways of God. It uh, doesn't matter how much education we have, doesn't matter our background, and sometimes those things can be even hindrances. But Jesus says it takes the heart of a child. It's so simple, so understanding for, for them to understand, I just came to seek and save that which is lost. I'm establishing a spiritual kingdom. I'm changing hearts. I'm changing minds. I'm forgiving sins. And it's ultimately up to God, to Jesus, to reveal these things to us. We won't understand them apart from his sovereign grace. And ultimately, God has to do that supernatural intervening work. Now, a lot of times what we want to do when we hear a verse like that is, is yeah, but, you know, or, well, I, I, don't, I don't understand, or we attempt to philosophize or those sorts of things. And I don't think that's Matthew's intention for us. Our intention is just to hear that and to say, God, give sight. God, um, make yourself known. God, um, 
Help me to see you for who you truly are. Help my children to see you for who you truly are. My spouse, the world, our country, my neighbors. Um, God, unless you do that, it's just not going to happen. I can't make them. I can't make them see. And and I think that's where Matthew wants us to end up in this chapter. And then of course in Matthew twenty-eight. I'm sorry. In verse twenty-eight, then Jesus issues this call: Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, in our limited minds, we think those things are surely in conflict. The fact that God is sovereign and is the one who ultimately reveals himself to people, who takes the blinders off the eyes. And then this call to everyone to come to Jesus who are heavy laden, who we who are heavy laden, that Jesus will give us rest. And again, we start to go into philosopher mode and try to try to reconcile these things in a limited way. And, and again, that's not the purpose. I think what John is saying or Matthew is saying is you stay in your lane. Let God be God. You be you. You come to me. You entrust yourself to me. You pray to me. You pray for others to me. Leave the results to me. Um, if people are blinded right now, it's because they haven't um, had the blinders lifted by my sovereign hand. I'm in control of that. Um, I'll take care of that. I will ultimately reveal myself to those who are mine. Your job is to be faithful, to not doubt, even when we're in the prison with John the Baptist, to trust that I am working out my sovereign good purposes and you can come to me. You who are heavy laden, who are weary, I will give you rest in your souls. You don't have to bear the burdens of the world, just bear the burdens that I've given you and I will carry them in fact for you. So that's what we see in Matthew chapter 11. Tomorrow morning, as we're in Matthew 12, Again, we're going to see these varying responses to the message of Jesus, this time from those who were healed, um, from the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, so, and again, it's going to be Matthew pointing us ultimately to what is Jesus's true mission? Uh, what did he ultimately come to do? And that was to save sinners. And that has to be the tip of the spear as he establishes his kingdom. Um, on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray and pray that God would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear um, his word and understand it. Lord, we take this to heart that you have hidden these things from the worldly wise, but you've revealed them to little children. And so Father, we come to you in a posture of being a child, of needing your help, of being blinded by sin, and praying, Father, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would take the blinders off, that you would help us to see things as they truly are. Lord, sometimes it's very difficult when we're in the prison with John the Baptist and things seem not to be going the way we think they ought to go. But Lord, give us eyes of faith. Um, give us hearts that understand and that trust you and place our living hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll be back here same time, same